This episode is brought to you by the generous donations of the members of the Best of the Left podcast. Now, welcome to the Best of the Left podcast with clips today from Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, The Young Turks, Counterspin, The Daily Show, Bill Maher, CNN, The Colbert Report, and Ring of Fire. This compromise bill draws enthusiastic support of Senator Max Baucus. That was political analyst Nate Silver summing up the response to Senator Max Baucus's much ballyhooed compromise bill about what? Uh, Health care reform. Indeed. Very good. Health care. This week... This week, Senator Max Baucus, Democrat of Montana, finally revealed the amazing health care compromise that he has been working on all year, the one that was going to save us all and unite all the warring parties. As it turns out, measured against expectations, it was the phantom menace of legislative proposals. <laughs> However, Baucus did achieve one of his goals. He was able to unify both parties, liberal Democrats and conservative Republicans, both loathe it. In fact... At his press conference announcing his plan, Baucus couldn't get a single other senator to stand Aww. next to him. It wasn't bipartisan, it was sans partisan. Aww. It was Charlie Brownish. Yeah, it was. <laughs> But it occurred to us, maybe he's going about this the wrong way. There is, in fact, we now know, a proven way to get a group of argumentative egotists to work hard over a short period of time to accomplish something difficult. A reality show. (laughs) Call it Project Healthcare. (laughs) You set all the senators and the finance committee to come up with their own plans, and you send in Tim Gunn to tell them, make it work. By the end, you'd have Senator Baucus using a bedazzler to really sparkle up his insurance co-ops. You know, I actually thought the the Baucus plan was okay, but, I mean, it's nothing compared to Beyonce's health care plan. It really isn't. But, you know, it was so sad. It was like he... He was like that kid who worked really, really, really hard on his diorama. Yes. Mm. And he takes it in, and his teacher says, I could tell you worked really hard on that. You know... You call that a diorama? (laughs) Well, it wasn't much of a health plan, was it? I mean, uh, we're we're taking Baucus's side, but if he'd come out with something worth being hated for, it would be a lot better. Well, that seems to be the problem, is that he's trying not to be hated over much by everyone, and the end result is that everyone hates you. Roy, how do you know? Have you tried Max Baucus's health plan? I read over part of it, and I began to feel queasy. (laughs) But that was a pre-existing condition. That's true, yes. Johnson's a, a journalist we've had on the show before, and he made a great point here in an article that I want to tell you about uh, in regards to the public option. It turns out uh, the 
Congress and the Republicans actually did vote for a public option. On insurance, right? we didn't know this, right? Uh, he makes a great point about this. It's absolutely true. It's just not for health insurance. It's for property insurance. Now, but it gets much better. Do you know why they did? Because of Hurricane Katrina. You say, oh, look, Republicans, open-hearted guys, you know, and they saw the devastation that happened with Hurricane Katrina, and they saw that private insurance decided not to cover a lot of people. They said, oh, you're covered for wind, but you're not covered for water, or you're covered for water, but you're not covered for wind. And they saw what people were doing, and they saw that the one place you could turn to, that you could trust, was the government, right? So they provided a public option. And in fact, they said you could even do that public option retroactively in that case, okay? Now you want to know why they did that? Because the House of Republican Senator Trent Lott from Mississippi was damaged in the storm, and his private insurance chose not to cover him. They said, I'm sorry, but that was not wind damage, it was water damage. No, I can't remember if it was wind or water damage that they didn't cover. They found a loophole and they're like, oh, no, not really. We're gonna have to deny your claim. Which, by the way, was quite stupid of them. Just pay off the senator, that's how it works, okay? And then he wouldn't cause you any trouble. But you know Republicans, if other people are demand things, they think, oh, I'm a victimhood, you know how they are, always demanding things. When it's their ass on the line, he's like, what? Private insurance didn't cover me? That's it, I'm changing the law. And they did. The two senators from Mississippi, both Republicans, led the charge for a public option on, pro on property. Now, if your health is on the line and you might die or live based on what private insurance does with your health, <laughs> good luck to you, who cares? No, I'm not gonna cover you, I'm not gonna give you another option, uh, one that's guaranteed, that might even cost less. No, my property is on the line. No, 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 no. I need a public option. <laughs> their hypocrisy knows no bounds. Furthermore, their priorities, you can tell where the Republican priorities lie, okay? Is it with your well-being or is it with their property? Mm, well, based on the evidence, the answer seems to be very, very clear. And that passed no problem. Isn't that interesting? And all of a sudden, you know, we're having tremendous problems passing the public option for your health care, but when it's uh, Republican property, eh, sail through the Senate. No problem at all. Funny how that works. I'm sure it's all a coincidence, though.
Democratic Senator Max Baucus of Montana unveiled his long-awaited health reform proposal recently, the result of weeks of negotiations among the Senate Finance Committee's so-called Gang of Six, three conservative Democrats and three moderate to conservative Republicans. The bill does not include a public option and could end up leaving middle-income Americans paying a great deal for health insurance, according to an analysis by Think Progress. At the same time, no Republican, including those in Baucus's gang, has indicated that they intend to vote for the bill. But in some media's skewed view of things, pleasing almost no one is a good thing for legislation. USA Today's front page headline on September 17th was, Bill Seen as Step in the Right Direction. The story itself didn't include any actual fans. The source who saw it as a step in the right direction is Senator Olympia Snow, who the paper says isn't sure she'll support the bill anyway. The same day, Washington Post reporter C.C. Connolly gave a similar take, with a piece that led, quote, On the surface, it appears that no one is happy with Senator Max Baucus, and that may be the best news President Obama has had in months, close quote. What exactly is the good news? Well, beyond the objections to the bill, dismissed here as rhetorical fireworks, Connolly explained that, quote, the fragile coalition of major industry leaders and interest groups central to refashioning the nation's $2.5 trillion health care system remains intact, close quote. In fact, these influential players found reasons to be happy. Quote, most enticing was the prospect of 30 million new customers, close quote. So that is good news if you believe that pleasing health insurance companies is the key to passing meaningful reform of that industry. If you feel like you're just one travel mug away from total contentment, you need to check out the Best of the Left store. Between my cafe press and print fiction stores, I've got all the t-shirts, travel mugs, and tote bags you could possibly want to show your Best of the Left pride. If it's a gift you're looking for, then go no farther than a podcast by mail subscription. It's a great way to introduce the show to someone who's not into the whole podcasting scene, but would love to hear it every week sent to them on a CD. Just go to the store tab at bestofleft.com. got a shot with health care? You think it's, you think it's something he, will, he yeah. will be able to accomplish? I have always believed from the night of the election, before the election, that, uh, that he would pass health care because, look, the only reason we didn't pass it was there were 45 Republican votes in the Senate and you can filibuster with 41. Right. And now they only have 40 votes and they need 41. Uh, we may have to get 60, and uh, after Senator Kennedy passed away, we'll have to pick up a vote, but I think we can do that. If not, after the election, we can do it. They'll have a special election. We can do it. Uh, I also believe that the circumstances today are just what they were 15 years ago, except all the, the indicators are worse. That is, we spend now 50% more than any other country, yet we're the only wealthy country that doesn't insure everybody, and we don't have better health outcomes than most upper-income countries. Some but our economic it, situation now is, is seemingly much more dire, yes. which, which is a complicating factor. It complicates it. it the, the only thing that's harder for him than me is that his, this economy is even worse, 
And people saw me trying to bring the deficit down and go into a balanced budget, and they think, gosh, we already got this problem. Right. With the deal. But keep in mind, we can save money if we do health care right. right. We can save money. We're already spending 16% of our income on health care. No one else is spending more than 10 and a half. That's Canada. That's eight or $900 billion we're spending that we wouldn't be spending if we had any other country's system, and yet we don't get better health outcomes for it, and we don't cover everyone. So what we have to do is find a way to cover everyone to make everybody who already has health insurance have secure right. insurance and to cut the outside costs. Because what happens is if, let's say, one of these young people out here doesn't have health insurance, they'll still get health care but it'll be too late, too expensive in the emergency room, and then their costs will be passed along to everybody else, which is why young people have supported President Obama's call, even though they'll be subject to the individual mandate more than anybody else. Right. Now, Good you, for you, by the way. Do you still believe, are you still a believer that, that government can get it done? You still believe in, in, in the competence of it and the ability that Absolutely. A, a, a bureaucracy like that can still run? Absolutely. Absolutely. Look at uh, I also believe that there are no final acts in politics. That is, right. Medicare in 65 isn't Medicare today. And Medicare 15 years from now may not look the same, but we can make the adjustments to preserve the basic framework. Right. When I started the Children's Health Insurance Program in 1997, it was the biggest increase in health care since Medicare and Medicaid for poor folks. And now there are more than 10 million kids covered by that. The government... Uh, covers some people directly, like Medicare and Medicaid, provides a little direct health care, like the veterans health care system, right. insures people through private insurance. The government does. That's for federal employees. Right. Senators. And otherwise should set up a framework within which quality can be assured and there's enough competition to keep the cost down. See, what killed America in the last decade was medical inflation was three times the rate of inflation. Right. Can we set up a system like that? Absolutely, but it won't work unless you cover everybody. And that's why conservative companies like Walmart say, okay, we're now ready for universal coverage right. because we've got to have a balanced system that covers everybody to ever control the cost. i tell you something. You are really uh, good to listen to us. You, you should run for office because you, <laughs> you got something. I don't know what it is, but you got something. <laughs> you know... Uh, Hillary and I are both really pulling for the president and the Congress on this because uh, we live with this. And I can tell you, last year in 2008, when in March, April, and May, I went to 300 towns right. in her behalf. I didn't go to a single town that somebody didn't have a health care horror story. Right. Not one. And I see these town hall meetings and people saying, you're going to have death panels and stop covering my kid with cerebral palsy and all that stuff. I have to tell you, the only people I met when there were no cameras, no lights, no action, just real America out there, were people that were already losing their health care and were desperate and their families were despondent and their kids had, you know, autistic conditions which had tripled in the last 20 years. Right. Their children were disabled and their employers couldn't afford to cover them anymore. Uh, this is bankrupting America. And, you know, when this economy comes back, and it's going to, and I hope we're going to ride a wave of millions of clean energy jobs back to real prosperity, in order to, in order to, in order to keep that prosperity, we have to be competitive in other ways, which means we have to have good health care 
that focus on keeping people healthy, prevention, and doesn't cost an arm and a leg when everybody else pays. Right. That's Will the president's plan, whatever it turns out to be, when these Congress gets through with it, will it be perfect? No. Will it be different 10 years from now? Yes, but it has to be a beginning. Social Security did not even cover agricultural workers when Franklin Roosevelt enacted it. If you saw what Social Security looks like then, today, you think this is cruel, inadequate, and disgraceful. The average life expectancy was under 60 years of age when Social Security kicked in at 65. Now, if you get to be 65, your life expectancy in America is 84 if you're a man, 86 if you're a woman. If you live to be 65, we have the oldest senior population in the world. So it's different. The important thing is to keep stumbling in the right direction. Will he prevail this time? I think so. It's time. We've got to do it. I got a feeling that tonight's going to be a good night. That tonight's going to be a good night. That tonight's going to be a good, good night. A feeling that tonight's going to be a good night. That tonight's going to be a good night. That tonight's going to Former health insurance company executive turned whistleblower who earlier this week testified to Congress on the need to reform America's health care system. Wendell Potter, Wendell. Thank you. Thank you. Wendell, how you doing tonight? Terrific. How are you doing? I'm so glad you're here. You, uh, of course, worked for Cigna, right? Your, That's right. Your title years. was corporate communications you're head of corporate communications. That's right. That sounds evil right there. <laughs> it was a good job. Yeah. And, uh, and you are now a guy, I see you on TV all the time now talking about what is actually wrong with the system. What made you uh, flip? You know, I was visiting my parents in Tennessee a couple of years ago, and I picked up the paper and saw that there was this health fair that was being held a few miles up the road in Wise County, Virginia. So I borrowed my dad's car, drove up there, and uh, went through the fairground gates of this, this uh, county fairground, and I saw hundreds and hundreds of people who were standing in line to get care that I found out was being delivered in animal stalls by um, doctors who, were, uh, who had come from all over Virginia to provide free care to these people. And a lot of these people, I found out, were insured, and a lot of these people uh, just couldn't afford to make their co-payments or meet their deductibles. And, it, you know, I realized at that point that a lot of those people could have been relatives of mine, people I grew up with, or even neighbors of my parents who still live in that part of the world. And I knew at that moment that what I was doing was uh, I wasn't working for the right team. Is that the remote area medical? It is. It is. Yeah, we yeah. had that in L.A. here recently. I know. Yeah. In fact, uh, there's a the uh, the organization is having I think it's 585th expedition uh, starting tomorrow in right. Harriman, Tennessee, and that's the hometown of uh, President Obama's uh, head of uh, health care reform, Nancy Ann DeParle. 
All right. Well, let's talk about the bill that came out of uh, Congress this week, because we've been waiting on this. Apparently, this was the big bill from the Gang of Six, Max Baucus, this guy who got to be, I don't know, the head, uh, head man in charge here. Uh, one respected commentator called it a blowjob to the insurance industry. <laughs> that sounds about right. Um, is, is that an accurate description, sir? I think it is. I was on a number of committees. Uh, but, uh, this, is, uh, this is more than the insurance industry could have hoped for. So, yeah, I think that's pretty apt. And, and what is wrong with the Democrats? Aren't they the party that is supposed to stand up for the common man? I mean, this is, after all, coming from a Democrat. You know, I think they want to pass something so badly. They're willing to put together anything that might get through... I guess the Senate, if that's the best they can come up with. But they are so influenced by, uh, uh, by the lobbyists and the propaganda that comes out of the, uh, uh, the health insurance industry and other special interests. They're so beholden to those special interests, even if they're Democrats, that this is the best they can come up with. Is, is this bill actually, do you think, written by the lobbyists or could have been written by the lobbyists? No, absolutely. And I recognize some of the language that's in the, in the legislation. And uh, it would continue the cost shifting that's already occurring. It would give the insurance industry wide latitude to put us all into these high deductible plans. Uh, the president said during his, his address with the joint session of Congress that he wanted to have legislation that would make sure that no Americans had to go bankrupt to pay their medical bills. This bill actually would guarantee that more Americans would go bankrupt because of the, the, the continued cost shifting that occurs, that would occur in that bill. Well, if it is so corporate friendly, why aren't the Republicans behind it? Well, because they, they don't like some of the uh, uh, restrictions on the so-called free market. Uh, it would make a few things illegal that should have been made illegal a long time ago. And uh, it, it just isn't free market enough for them. But, but Obama started his presidency by saying we can't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. Uh, obviously, this bill is far from perfect, but is it better than what we have now? No, it is not. It is not necessarily better than what we have now. Uh, there needs to be a public option as part of this bill. That's vitally important. Uh, this... If there, if, there is not, if there is not a public option, then, then the health insurance industry wins, hands down. Uh, our tax dollars would be going to, to uh, subsidize the premiums that uh, people who are of low or moderate, moderate incomes would have to be paying for, for these insurance policies. Uh, it would be a windfall for the insurance industry. It would not be a better situation. We would be forced to buy products that we really can't afford, and it would, it would give the insurance industry the, the freedom to continue cost-shifting and raising premiums and also, over the years, reduce the subsidies that uh, uh, initially Americans would have received to be able to buy the crappy insurance that uh, uh, this bill calls for. Or would Crappy enable... insurance? Yeah, one of the things that the insurance Watch industry... your mouth. Is... You're on HBO, but That's sir, right. I mean... <laughs> a, lot of plan... a lot of the plans that people are in these days and would be able to continue to be pushed into are very limited benefit plans or plans with such high deductibles that uh, people are already going bankrupt. A lot of those people at the fairgrounds in Wise County have insurance, but their insurance companies are asking some of these people or suggesting they call Remote Area Medical to find out when they're going to have a charity event because their insurance company won't cover what they need. This is happening. Uh, let me ask you this. Why aren't more people in your industry doing what you're doing? When, when you were doing what you were doing, which was not that long ago, uh, did you find that 
any of your colleagues were wrestling with this moral question of this yes. country capitalizing so much on sick people? Absolutely. Uh, many people do. But people are kind of caught in their jobs. It's difficult to do what I did. I almost didn't do it myself because it's, it's really scary to, to do this. What you think of is all the bad things that can happen to you. And, uh, and, and there, are some, there can be some very uh, significant adverse consequences when you decide to start speaking out against the industry that you've worked in for many years and try to expose a lot of the practices that, that really should be made illegal. You know, I saw Michael Moore's new movie. He's on our show next week, uh, which is brilliant, and uh, I'm anxious for people to see it the other night. And uh, I know his last movie, Sicko, which was about the healthcare industry, you were still working for the insurance company at that time. Right. And you worked to marginalize him. Did you I not? I did. I did. I was uh, among the PR people. Uh, uh, who we, we conferred uh, many times. There were many conference calls leading up to the movie's premiere. After the movie premiered, we were uh, working overtime to discredit the movie. I even uh, flew to Sacramento and then to uh, Michael Moore's hometown in Michigan to see the U.S. premieres of the movie just so I could sit in the back of the theater and take notes to, to know exactly what was in the movie and, and uh, what he was saying about the insurance industry. But he wasn't wrong, right? He was not wrong. He got it right. Well, if you want to sing out, sing out. And if you want to be free, be free. Because there's a million things to be. You know that there are. And if you want to live high, live high. And if you want to live low, live low. Because there's a million ways to go. You know that there are. What you want, the opportunities are, and if you find a new way, you can do it today, you can make it all true, and you can make it undo, you see. You heard the president tell us what he wants health care reform to look like, but let me ask you a question. Does it really matter what the president wants it to look like? Or is it really more important what the health industry and lobbyists and even those who back the president, by the way, want it to look like? I'm serious. I'm actually asking this question, whether the president's power is actually trumped by something that may be even more powerful than the president. And here's why I'm raising this question. Numbers. Numbers we did a story on yesterday here at CNN.com. You may have read the story, or maybe it was below the radar because there was so much other important stuff to talk about. This figure, this number, $375 million. That is how much has been spent, mostly by the health and insurance industry, to influence this debate, to influence this important debate. It's on track to be the most money ever poured into any one issue in the history of our country at any given time. Let me break this down for you even a little bit more. This is money mostly spent to stop reform in the last eight months. Lobbying efforts, $280 million. Those are the closed door meetings, the cocktail parties, the perks, large and small, $280 million. Ads, we've all seen them. $75 million. And by the way, those are ads on both sides. Pro-reform, anti-reform, pro-the president, Democrat, GOP, you got it all there. Campaign donations, $23 million. 
You think they expect a return on that? You bet they do. And that's today's Breakthrough. Senator Bernie Sanders is an independent from Vermont who is convinced that politics has become way too corporatized, if not controlled. Good afternoon, Senator. Good to be with you, Rick. When someone gives you hundreds of thousands of dollars, they certainly wouldn't want anything in return, right? They've just got some extra money laying absolutely, around. Absolutely, absolutely not. They're just interested in democracy and just want to help the democratic process. The idea that maybe they would get something for their money, I am sure you will agree with me, is the first, furthest possible thing from their minds. <laughs> now, you know, it's interesting. Uh, you and I can be tongue-in-cheek about this and have a lot of fun with it, but I hear Americans screaming over death panels, screaming over immigrant labor, uh, but shouldn't they also be just as angry, if not more so, about politicians that are getting all this money, which would make me think, why should you love me if they're giving you all that money? Well, Rick, you're absolutely right, and thank you for speaking about an issue that far too people do talk about. Look, we pay the highest prices in the world for prescription drugs far higher than any other country. You know uh -huh. why? You know why? Because the drug company pours hundreds of millions of dollars into the political process. We're the only country in the industrialized world that does not provide health care to all of its people. You know why? You're seeing it right now because the health industry, the drug companies, the hospitals, all of these organizations are making billions right now. They don't want us to touch their profits, and they're going to influence legislation. And they do. And they, well, let's name names. Let me go through here. I pull. I went to a, a website. I invite all of you at home to go to. It's called OpenSecrets.org. You think that's a good uh, website, Senator? Yes, I do. All right. We've got. I, I pulled up three names. I pulled yours up, of course, as well. But let's go with three people who've been very much involved in this health care debate. I got Mitch McConnell, Republican. Max uh, Baucus. Uh, Democrat and Chuck Grassley. Let's look at who these are the people who are talking about this health care debate, uh, right? Let's see how much money they've gotten from health care. Let's start with Mr. Grassley over here, all right? Top five industries, health professionals have given them $222,000, uh, insurance, $184,000. Pharmaceuticals, $145,000. Lobbyists, $137,000. Hospitals, nursing homes, $137,000. Those are the top five people who've given him money. Let's go over here to Mr. McConnell. Look at Mr. McConnell. Let's go to the page. Okay, again, this is the top five industries, industries that have given him money. Securities and investment, $1,116,000. Lawyers, 918,000. But let's go down here to health professionals. $713,000. Those are two Republicans. Here's the big uh, brouhaha uh, Democrat on this. Uh, not too far off, by the way. Securities and investment, top five industries, 842,000. Insurance, 552,000. Health professionals, 497,000. Pharmaceuticals, 507,000. Now, uh, $507,000, that's a big nut for someone who's making decisions about how our health care is going to be run to be getting from someone who's very interested in how it's going to be run, isn't it? Sure it is, and you're not adding into that equation the amount of money that goes directly to both political parties.
So, what is that watered-down version? Well, Max Baucus, the head of that committee, the head of the Gang of Six, has released it. One, it includes no public option. Two, it includes co-ops uh, that are, in most experts' uh, views, fairly ill-defined. These are like, hey, you know what, on a local level, uh, Joe, Sally, and Bob can get together and try to compete with the private insurance companies. Yeah, good luck on that one. Okay, and they won't take a profit, so it'll be kind of like a public plan. No, it won't. It won't have any of that muscle. It won't have any of the leverage, and it won't. <laughs> it's it, it's a terrible compromise, if you ask me. So, uh, and then on top of that, oh, by the way, uh, everybody has to have health care coverage. Okay, because but in order to help you, we're going to give subsidies to people that are uh, below the poverty line and actually a little above the poverty line. Okay. Uh, but some of you that are caught in the middle, well, you know, we might fine you up to $3,800 if you don't have health care coverage. Okay? They're going to fine families up to $3,800 if you don't have health care coverage. So, uh, do you understand what this so-called compromise is? We take all the money and we funnel it towards the private insurance companies. They're going to fine you, give it to the private insurance companies. They're going to subsidize the poor. Give it to the private insurance companies. They're gonna, uh, and what are they going to do to contain the costs? Not a damned thing. So the premiums will go up. Some of you will even get fined. Your taxes will go up because of the subsidies. And in the end, voila! Healthcare reform! Private insurance companies just got a hell of a lot richer. And what did you get? Now, look, you got some things. Let's be fair here. You know, hopefully, if this actually works, no rescission. So if they say that they gave you insurance, you actually have insurance. No pre-existing conditions. So if you're sick, they can't deny you coverage. Okay. So you do get some things. And the poor get covered when they might not have had, had health care before because of increased subsidies. Right? But are most Americans going to have lower premiums? No. They will likely have higher premiums. Now, let's go to a guy who talked about lowering premiums and a way to do that. Oh, I know. It's President Obama when he was candidate Obama. Let's go to clip number nine here. This is during a presidential debate with John McCain. Here is candidate Obama's suggestion for how to handle health care reform. Let's watch. If you have health insurance, then you don't have to do anything. If you've got health insurance through your employer, you can keep your health insurance keep your choice of doctor, keep your plan. The only thing we're going to try to do is lower costs so that those cost savings are passed on to you. And we estimate we can cut the average family's premium by about $2,500 per year. <laughs> if you don't have health insurance, then what we're going to do is to provide you the option of buying into the same kind of federal pool that both Senator McCain and I enjoy as federal employees, which will give you high quality care, choice of doctors, at lower cost because so many people are part of this insured group. We're going to make sure that insurance companies can't uh, discriminate on the basis of pre-existing conditions. We'll negotiate with the drug companies for the cheapest available price on drugs. Nope. We are going to invest in information technology to eliminate bureaucracy and make the system more efficient. And 
we are going to make sure that we manage chronic illnesses like diabetes and heart disease uh, that cost a huge amount but could be prevented. We've got to put more money into preventive care. Uh, this will cost some money on the front end, but over the long term, this is the only way that not only are we going to make families uh, healthy, but it's also how we're going to save the federal budget because we can't afford these escalating All right. He Did you hear him at the end? He said this is the only way to do it. Ah, he's not saying that anymore. He talked about an option of going into a federal pool that is the public option. And he explained how you would all have that option. You could keep your own private insurance or you could go with the public option. And that went out the window. Uh, then he went on to talk about how he's going to negotiate lower drug prices with the pharmaceutical companies. He struck a deal with the pharmaceutical companies a couple of months ago to not do that. That will definitely not be in the bill. Out the window. Okay, he said he's going to save you guys $2,500 on your premiums. Right now, there is no mechanism in the bill, in the so-called compromise of Baucus, or what Olympia Snow is working on with Rahm Emanuel, to save you a dime. You $2,500, your premium is going to go down. Now, what, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? So the Republicans watered it down, right? And the corporatist Democrats watered it down, so that you're not going to save anything from your premiums. And then four years from now, when they're you know doing the 2012 election, they're going to run the same clip we just ran. The Republicans are and say, "Hey, Obama promised you that he would lower your premiums by $2,500. Did he? He didn't, did he? And then they're going to say, "See, you should have never voted for Obama because his health care reform didn't work." And the guy who aided and abetted them in that strategy, ironically, is Barack Obama. It's such a disastrous path that they're on. They're going to come up with the bill that's going to help the lobbyists and the corporations and the Republicans the most, and then the Republicans will use that, and those same corporations and lobbyists will use that bill to bash Obama later. And you know what, though? For him being a sucker and for playing along, he has it coming. Let me tell you, give you one more candidate Obama clip. This was, again, during the 08 elections. When he said, no, don't worry, though, we're going to do this thing transparent. <laughs> All right, watch this. Get a load of this, and then I'll tell you what actually happened. Clip number 10. So what I've said is this. We're going to set up a table just like this, a little bigger, and we'll have doctors, nurses, and uh, hospital administrators, patient rights advocates, employers, labor. Drug and insurance companies will have a seat at the table. They just won't be able to buy every single chair. And we will have a public... Uh, process for forming this plan. It'll be televised on C-SPAN. I can't guarantee it'll be exciting, so not everybody is going to be watching. Mm -hmm. But it will be transparent and accountable to the American people, so that what happens then is you've got the chairman of some committee somewhere who starts pontificating about how, well, you know, the drug companies have to be able to charge what they charge to, for research and development. I, as president, will say, well, let's bring in some healthcare economists and experts to see is that in fact a valid argument and they will then present the facts where it turns out that what's called R&D often includes TV ads and inducements for doctors and so forth uh, and so, so the, the point is that in a transparent process like that where the American people are being instructed about the choices that have to be made then that diminishes the power of lobbyists uh, and it, it's not that they won't have any influence, they'll still have some, but it serves as a counterweight. And one of my jobs as the president will be to guide this process so that it's an honest process and that the American people know, look, 
you know, drug companies, insurance companies are two of the most profitable operations out there, and here's the reason why, and we can change it, and they'll still be making a profit, but you will now have options that don't bankrupt your family. Mm -hmm. I feel confident that members of Congress, when they're confronted with a public that is actually informed about this issue, will feel compelled to get something done. That video was so sad it nearly made me cry. Uh, talking about transparency and how he's going to do the negotiations with uh, all the different people, including the industry, on C-SPAN. <laughs> you know how they did it instead? They did it in secret at the White House. They refuse to tell you what's in the deal. Uh, and when asked about it, they are incredibly touchy. Uh, and they did no such thing of negotiating out in the open, telling you what uh, the pharmaceutical companies, the healthcare companies, the hospitals got in return. Not at all. It's, I, it's maybe a little unfair to say zero transparency because we know some deals were made, right? And we know what the government got uh, for those deals. We don't know what the industry got for those deals. Uh, but that transparency that he talked about, nonsense. Didn't happen at all. And then the last part of it made me even sadder, where he said, you know, if we inform the American people, I'm sure they'll be on our side. And when do you plan to do that, President Obama? He got, you know, it, assuming he didn't want to lose on the public option, he got swift voted on death panels. He got swift voted on, you know, the public option actually costing the government money. He got swift voted on every single one of these issues. And he sat back and took it, sat back and took it, sat back and took it. And the public was not informed. They were grossly misinformed. Well, I was sitting, waiting, wishing you believed in superstitions. Then maybe you'd see the signs. The Lord knows that this world is cruel. And I ain't the Lord, no, I'm just a fool. And I love him some, but I don't make him love you. Must I always be So tonight, I take an in-depth look at health care in the ninth installment of my 35,000-part series, Better Know a Lobby. Tonight, Health Care for America Now, the fighting death panelers. Health Care for America Now, or HCAN, was founded in 2008, making it America's youngest health lobbying group considerably younger than the conservative health lobby, the American Association for the Leeching of Humors. Now, because HCAN was formed to promote the health care bill before there was a bill to promote, it essentially existed before there was a need for it. It's the same principle behind the condom in a freshman's wallet. And who's got the pre-existing cojones to lead this group? It's HCAN National Campaign Director Richard Kirsch. I recently sat down with Mr. Kirsch in his Washington office. 
Thank you for taking the time to talk to me today. It's great to be with you. Tell me about the fighting universal health care. Well, we're fighting all around the country. We got folks in 50 states on the ground telling Congress that we want to be sure that every American has the best quality health care and can afford it. Okay, your lips are moving, but all I hear is my doctor's office will now be in the DMV. Not true. Okay. You're a lobbyist, you're basically in sales, okay? Show me your stuff. Woo me! Well, keep in mind that I'm rich, I already have health insurance, and I don't care about other people. So. If we pass good health coverage for everyone, 22,000 people fewer a year will die a year. Okay, so you're saying that if we pass this health care, no one dies anymore. We're saying that we're going to save a lot of lives if we pay this, pass this health care. Will people die? Will people in America still die yes. if we pass health care reform? Yes. People will continue to die. People will die under your plan. And that's fine with But you. fewer people will die if we pass this legislation. It's not the best sell job I've ever heard. Pass our plan. People will die. Okay? Not everybody, but a lot of people. Every life's worth saving. That's why I want to be sure everybody has health insurance. you got to swing for the bleachers. No one dies. Everybody gets laid. People would notice that. They would. Can you give me the idea behind the Democrats' health care bill? The government is going to make sure that you can afford your health care. But it'll increase the deficit. It won't increase the deficit. Of course it will increase the deficit. But you know what? If it did increase the deficit a little bit yep. to provide good quality coverage for everybody in the country and make the whole health care system less expensive, that would be all right. Increasing the deficit is okay with you. The most important thing is to provide good coverage to everyone. And you know what? But you just said increasing the deficit is okay with you. I don't believe in increasing the deficit for any reason other than war. And if you're war, right. Right. If you want to bomb sick people, that I understand. But increasing it by $1 to be sure people had affordable health insurance is not acceptable to you. Thank you. Well, that took forever. Michael Steele has said that private health care plans having to compete with insurance backed by the government is quote like an alligator competing with a chicken right that sounds awesome alligator chicken fights you're a lobbyist why aren't you advertising that well what michael Steele is how many chickens are we talking here because my money's on the alligator well, i don't care how many chickens you got out there they're not gonna peck an alligator to death alligators love chicken well, what Michael Steele is really saying is that health insurance companies put your prof their profits before your health right now. How much do you love universal health care? Okay, scale one to ten. Ten. Ten? Ten. Okay, you got universal health care and an old lady in your canoe. You're crossing a lake. Okay, storm comes up, old lady and universal health care get knocked out of the canoe. You can only save one of them. Who is it? Come on, old lady's drowning. Who do you save? I save them both. You can't save them both. Why they're, not? They're being swept in different directions by the tide. And I'll go in both directions at the same time. Oh, too late. They're both drowned. That's what bureaucracy does. That's your plan. That's your plan in a nutshell. No, what I okay, what we are looking new one. to do. Ticking time bomb, okay? Ticking time bomb. All right? We know the bomb's gonna go off in the city at some point. All right? You're pretty sure that universal health care knows where the bomb is, but it's not talking. Do you torture universal health care to save 100,000 people in Midtown Manhattan? But universal health care is such a good guy that I don't have to torture him. He'll tell me where the bomb is without my torturing uh, him. Sure, sure, all the bombers are good guys to you liberals. Yeah, they're the ones we should be protecting. You just played your hand, my friend. You just played your hand. Not true. Here, let's, let's forget all this and just get back to, like, the brass tacks. Okay. 
Wouldn't it be cool to watch an alligator fight chickens? No. Mr. Kirsch, thank you for taking the time to talk to me today. Thank you. Great to be here. Sadly, sadly, folks, just after we taped that interview, Mr. Kirsch was put down by a death panel. He will not be forgotten. sociologists developed to describe an incredibly ugly quality of human nature. The term they use is victim blame. Here's how it works. Americans, believe it or not, are fearful people. That's why drug companies are able to sell more pharmaceuticals per capita in America than any other place in the world. It's also the reason that gun manufacturers love Americans. On the outside, most Americans want to project a Rambo quality of gutsy, but fearfulness lies right below that veneer. It's that fearful nature, according to sociologists and shrinks, that compels us to blame victims for their misfortune. It makes us feel better when we convince ourselves that bad things only happen to other people. Test that theory yourself. Find one of those male or female swaggering bravado types who's always quick to project macho self-assuredness. Keep track of how many times they blame a victim for a rape or a robbery or an accident or virtually any kind of misfortune. Note how many times they tell you that if they were in that situation, there would have been a happier ending. If they were in that situation, it would have worked out better. That's the nature of victim blaming. It's a mechanism that promotes false bravado as a way to help us believe that bad things are never going to happen to us. After all, we, unlike those other victims, are smarter, stronger, and more righteous. Conservative political policies have been built around the manipulation of that ugly quality called victim blame. If an American is homeless or jobless, if they can't afford health care, if they lost their home in foreclosure, then surely they must have done something wrong to deserve all that fate. Conservatives are brilliant in that they've freed us up from the responsibility of being our brother's keeper. That's the simple story here. It's always easier to conclude that our brother is always stupid, irresponsible, immoral, and obviously not as smart and responsible and virtuous as us. In the minds of these nut job victim blamers, if these other people had their superior qualities, then their lives would flourish. Today, homeless families are the largest growing segment of America's population. Almost half of those irresponsible, underachieving homeless types are children under the age of six. An accomplished victim blamer is going to conclude that those homeless children are suffering appropriately for the sins of their father. 
Until Obama signed legislation to ensure that America's poverty-stricken children could get health care, nine million children had no health care protection. We saw eight years of victim-blaming from conservative political leaders that allowed their swaggering, self-reliant, idiotic followers to conclude that those kids get what they deserve. That same crowd is mobilized again. You can catch them at town hall meetings attacking 47 million so-called deadbeat Americans who have no health insurance. It's a crowd that feels better when they can rationalize it, unlike those 47 million deadbeat, underachieving losers. Their own crowd of motivated, righteous types will always have medical care when they're sick or dying. When we're able to control fear, it has the capacity to help us improve our lives and the lives of others. But when fear controls us, we end up with terrified, idiotic mobs shouting down and blaming their neighbors when those neighbors need their help the most. I guess it makes some of our most small-minded people feel more secure. With simple minds, still we want it all. Things go fast. Make us miss the most of what life can bring to us. Of what life can be to us. Senator Kent Conrad is Democrat of uh, North Dakota. Yeah, he's in the Gang of Six, as you're about to find out. He's going to get interviewed here on MSNBC. Uh, and he's going to say something that I find to be funny and painful at the same time. Uh, let's watch it, and then I'll rip him a new one. Clip number five. Senator Kent Conrad, Democrat of North Dakota, and a member of the Gang of Six. Oh, well, how did you do? Are you guys going to get any Republicans to join you in this? Well, we certainly hope so. Look, uh, they asked a series of things be excluded. They didn't want public option. It's not in this package. They didn't want an employer mandate. It's not in this package. They wanted tax reform so that the high-end Cadillac plans would have a levy on them to discourage overutilization. That's part of the package. They didn't want illegals to benefit, and many Democrats agreed. That's not in the package. Uh, those who are here illegally will not benefit. They wanted to make certain that uh, federal dollars not be used to support abortion, and so they're not. There's the beginning of medical malpractice reform, which many wanted to see included. There's a clear statement on that. So uh, I hope that they'll see as we go through the process that there's much here that's worthy of their support. This is a package that's paid for. It, according to the Congressional Budget Office, bends the cost curve in the right way, unlike any of the other packages that have so far been, off, uh, been offered. So I think this goes a long way towards meeting the objectives they set early on. Yeah, it bends more than the cost curve. Then they wanted to bend me over, and I said, it's to go ahead. And they said, uh, then they wanted my ass. I said, go ahead. Uh, it's in there. Then they wanted the DP, and I said, go ahead. And I just I gave them everything I got, man. Yeah, we know. And what did you get in return? The answer to her question is zero Republicans joined. You see, because 
this is not just about weakness. This is not that you just gave him every single concession as you just admitted yourself on national television and got zero votes to show for it. It's about you were using them for cover. You didn't want to do any of those things anyway. Because 90% of those things are related to things that help the healthcare industry. And you get paid by the healthcare industry, and you're a sellout shill for them. That's what you are, Kent Conrad. And he's been on the show before. I wish I got him on now. Okay, if I know, oh, come back. Come back to Papa. See what happens. My guess is that's not how it's going to work. Okay? Because you're telling me, okay, look, you only have two choices. This is, they're, they're no, there's no way around this. Either. Kent Conrad and Max Baucus are pathetically weak and stupid that they gave all of those concessions to the Republicans, and he got nothing in return. So they gave him everything, okay? And they said, so, oh, well, in the end, they, gave, uh, they didn't uh, get a single vote. But you know what? We're going to keep all those concessions. We're going to water down the bill as they wanted us to anyway. So, well, you've got to be stupid to do that, right? And you have to be just the worst kind of weakling in the world. Is that what you are, Max Baucus and Ken Conrad? Is that what you are? That worked on this gang of six so-called compromise, which then end to end had no compromise at all from the Republicans? Okay. Or you meant to do it all along because you're getting paid by the same guys they are. And you wanted to use them for political cover so you could say, oh, what can I do? It was bipartisan. But it wasn't bipartisan. So now you have no political cover and you're exposed for the shill sellout corporate whore that you are. Have I been clear enough? Thanks for listening, everybody. I just wanted to address really quickly uh, those of you who have written in and any of the rest of you who have maybe just had this thought cross your mind about um, suggesting other shows to include in the podcast. First of all, I really appreciate anyone who takes the time to write in to you know, have, have suggestions on how to make the show better, whether it be suggesting new shows to include or anything else. But in this case, just to respond, basically the reason I don't include any other shows than the already huge number of shows I try to include on a regular basis is because I'm right now I'm at about 110% of my total listening capacity with the shows I have. I just couldn't possibly fit in any other shows to listen to regularly. So obviously that makes it really difficult to, uh, to check out any new ideas people have. The one big regret about this is that I don't have more Tom Hartman in the show. You know, of all the suggestions I get, he's the one I know about and know I wish I had more of. And so the, the, the problem is twofold. Before, I just didn't have time to fit him in the rotation. It was difficult. I tried for a little while, but he's got a big show. It's on every day. It's, it's just, it, it comes in like an avalanche, and you just feel buried. Um, so I, I wasn't able to fit him in to my schedule. And then on top of that, he just stopped his free podcast. So now I'm in the position of I would have to pay in order to have access to his podcast, which I don't really have time to listen to anyways, so it's kind of difficult. But if there's anyone out there, um, I just had this thought today and thought I'd mention it, if there's anyone out there who listens to the Tom Hartman podcast, and, I mean, obviously, if you if you do now, 
then you're a big fan because you're paying uh, his website for the privilege of, of listening to his podcast. So if you listen to the Tom Hartman podcast, I would love it if you sent in clips from his show for me to include. I wish I had clips from him, and I just can't do it right now. I'll, I'll make a promise. If, uh, if I ever get to the point where I have enough members paying those small monthly or yearly donations that I can do this gig full-time, I will include Tom Hartman in the show. As it is now, that's not the case, and if you want to send it in, I'd love it. And for all of you, if, if, you, if you don't know about Tom Hartman, you should really check him out. He, he's the one show that I don't include very often that I wish I could and highly recommend. Okay, now just another reminder, Podcast Awards are coming up October 4th. What you do is go to podcastawards.com and fill out the information for the Best of the Left podcast to be nominated in the politics category as well as the best produced category. You only have to do it once, and you got about 15 days between October 4th and about 15 days after October 4th. Everybody goes, takes 30 seconds, you fill it out, you may have to do an email confirmation or something like that, and you're all set. Now, of course, I want to thank a couple of members for the day. Nathaniel H. joined up on July 23rd, and Robert R. joined up a little more recently on August 22nd. Huge thanks to both of you. Uh, Robert, I want to point out, went above and beyond and is doing above the minimum monthly donation, so extra thanks for that. So, of course, these two members, as well as all of the members, have the warm, fuzzy feeling of knowing that they're helping to keep the show going. its uh, I've explained it before. It's just mathematically empirical that without them, the show would not look the way it looks right now. And members also have access to the Best of the Left raw feed, which I hope they find incredibly useful and entertaining. They get all the clips that end up in the show, as well as some clips that don't make the final cut, and they're all delivered in their original video format when available. So that's all I have for today. Stay connected with the show on Twitter and Facebook and by signing up for our email newsletter. To support the show with reviews in iTunes, votes every month at Podcast Alley, or by filling out our listener survey linked at the website. You can listen to the show on your smartphone by going to stitcher.com, and you can visit the show notes on the blog where you'll find all the sources and music used in this episode linked up right there. So coming to you from inside the Beltway and border, yet outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast, delivered to you every Wednesday and every weekend, thanks to the members from bestoftheleft.com. Black and white, you took apart a picture that wasn't right.